that. Let me ask you to just picture in your mind, you're walking through a new building or you're coming into the church house somewhere. There's a sign attached somewhere and it says, do not touch wet paint. Now be honest. What do you do? Well, it looks fresh. It looks wet. Yeah, it's wet. (laughs) That's what we do. I've got to try it for myself and see if it really is wet paint. We don't heed the warnings. So we're not short of examples. We, We just look at our own lives sometimes. Well, today we read a second warning about refusing to obey God and becoming calloused in our hearts or rebellious toward God. So be finding chapter 3 in Hebrews this morning as I read this passage beginning with verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. The writer to the Hebrews says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes Psalm 95 here, Today, if you hear his voice, do not hearken your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened. Through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts. Today I want to talk about the hardened heart and the dangers of having a hard heart a heart that's indifferent toward God and the things of the Lord Jesus. So the warning, the second warning is don't harden your heart. So the writer establishes right away, once again, as in the last time that I preached from chapter 2, that Jesus is to have precedence in your life. He has been given precedence above all. And so here in this chapter... He begins to say, not only is he superior to angels, he's superior to even Moses. And for a Jew to hear that, whoa, he's superior to Moses? Watch out, Buster. Because Moses they held in high esteem. Moses to them 
was priority because the law was given through Moses, the law of God. Moses was great. And so are we all in agreement when we think back of the lessons that we had as children in Sunday school and even the devotions we had on the life of Moses? Moses was great. Would we all be in agreement? Moses is great. Everybody, Moses was great. Jesus is greater. Okay? Moses is great. He was. Jesus is greater. He's telling these Jews, look, look at your past history. He led the children of Israel called the Hebrew children at that time, he led them out of slavery. God gave his law to the Jews through Moses. God spoke with Moses like a man speaks to a friend. He was their great deliverer. Moses was the high priest. In chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. You ought to underline that in your Bible. As a servant. Moses was faithful in all his house. What house is that? What's he talking about? Well, house is a group of people. That's what he's talking about. Like a big family. The house of Moses were all the Hebrew children coming out of Egypt. He was faithful. Listen, he had his moments, didn't he? He had his moments when he got frustrated with God from time to time. But in all, he was faithful with them. And he was faithful to God. Moses was not God, however nor was he a God. Verse 5 says, He was faithful to serve as a testimony of those things which would be spoken about afterwards. In other words, these things that he did served as a testimony for some time down the future. And so those things that took place were to serve as a testament of things to come. We use the word foreshadow. A foreshadowing of things to come. And the Bible says greater things to come than in the days of Moses. So what Moses did in the Old Testament as a high priest and faithful servant of the house of Israel and as a mediator between the people and God, what he did serves as a picture to us of things that were still to come. Of Jesus, who became our high priest and mediator between God and man. Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses, he says. Because while Moses was a servant, Jesus is the Son. He says he's the Son and the builder of God's house. Moses was faithful in all his house. Jesus is the builder of the house. And so when you see somebody, they have a nice, beautiful, big house. Boy, you're so excited for them. You say, wow, this is magnificent. Who built this? Because our attention goes to the builder. Why? Because we know you're paying for it, okay? That's your problem. I want to know who the builder is. Because this is magnificent. The debt you got on it, that's between you and God. Because I know everything comes with a price, but I want to know who built it. That's what I want to know. The owner's not something. The builder is something greater. See, who built the house? Jesus is the builder of God's house, of which we are a part, he says, if we belong to him. Therefore, we're to give him precedence in our lives. You know, this is so simple. But we stray from that sometimes. Some churches are great, and people flock to them. Some pastors are great, and people follow them. 
Some national leaders are great and we put them on a pedestal. Some families are great and we try to follow their model. The company you work for may be great. The education you receive may be great from the institution you think is the greatest. And you yourself may even be some great one. And I say that with all sincerity. Some of the things that you've accomplished in your life. You may really be someone who is great. But until you give Jesus precedence above all in your life, nothing else really matters. Nothing. Look with me between verse 7 and verse 13 again. And let's talk about this. Not only does he have to have precedence in our lives, continual rebellion confirms the reality of a hardened heart. Continual rebellion confirms the reality that you have a hard heart. Once again, the writer in this brief passage uses an example from their history. He's going back, he's saying, look, There's some things that we know about. There's some things we need to learn from. He quotes Psalm 95. Really, he's quoting Isaiah because Psalm 95 is a quote from Isaiah. And in verse 8, he makes reference to the 40 years that they were required to wander about in the wilderness because they refused to obey God and to enter the land of Canaan, the land of promise. He called these the days of the rebellion. So when he says in the days of rebellion, instantly they know what he's talking about because that's in their history. And in those days, during that 40-year time of rebellion, they faced trials. And those trials were intended to strengthen their lives. Those trials were intended to get them to trust God. You need water? Have Moses do this and I'll give you water. And what happens? Oh, they get water, but this water's bitter. They don't like this water. You hungry? Manna is coming from heaven. Oh, we're sick and tired of manna. You know? You're you're hungry in the evening? Well, quail is out there running around the ground. Go catch you some. Quail's good white meat. Oh, it tastes good. Well, we're tired of quail. Lord, we're just sick, we're just sick and tired. Sick and tired. You couldn't do anything. Why? Because they had a rebellious heart. I like the way God tells Moses said they were a stiff necked people. Everybody just do this, all right? Everybody's working it out, right? And not me. He's not talking about me. Stiff-necked people, rebellious they were. Those trials were intended to help them to see the provisional hand of God and the providence of God and the might and power of God. Yet they tested God, he said. They tested Him. Verse 9 said they tested Him so much, He became angry. I like to be compassionate. I think overall I'm I'm compassionate about the gospel with people. But I've got to tell you, our compassionate way of sharing the gospel is letting people go to hell. God gets angry with rebellion and sin. He does. And to just say God loves you and He's got a wonderful plan to to your life if you'll just if you'll just you know think about that. No. We are sinners separated from a holy God because of our sin. And we will die in our lostness and face an eternal death unless we repent and turn to Him and receive His forgiveness. And be like St. Augustine. He said, may our hearts only rest if they rest in You, O God. I hope I can't rest when my heart's not right with God. 
I hope He stirs me if my heart's not right with Him. We don't need to be comfortable about that. Well, let me talk with you under the same point about the hardened heart, about marks of a hardened heart. Verse 10 says something. It says, rebellion is a mark of a hardened heart. He says, they always go astray. We can understand what that means. Anybody ever had a dog that would not stay in the fence? They always go astray. I've watched some of these videos that you see on Facebook of a dog. The guy went, he, the dog kept jumping the four-foot chain-link fence. He put up a six-foot one. He climbed the six-foot one. He put up like an eight-foot wooden fence. The dog is climbing in the corner of the fence, and over he goes. That dog is always going to go astray. <laughs> they always go astray. When God says go right and you go left, you're going astray. When God says, no, don't do that, the rebellious person says, I'm all right, I'm going to do what I want. God, leave me alone. And we would never think of leaving here this morning to go and do acts of witchcraft, would we? We wouldn't go practice divination, the consulting of mediums and spirits and and trying to read the future, trying to tell what's going on in our future, trying to to talk with the dead, those things that some spiritists and people try to do, divination. We would never do that. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, however, the Bible says witchcraft, or excuse me, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That word there used for witchcraft is from the same word used for divination. Witchcraft, divination, same thing. And now God says, while I'm talking about it, let me just tell you how I view rebellion against me. I put it into the same category. It's the same to me as the sin of witchcraft. Oh my goodness. I don't do witchcraft, but sometimes I'm rebellious. God says it's just as bad. It breaks my heart. It stirs His anger. Walking in rebellion against God invites demonic activity into your life. Goodness, really? Brother Christman, are you... Isn't that a far stretch? The Bible says the enemy of this age is the devil and his demons still go around working in the sons of disobedience. Those who are still in sin and disobedience against God... Satan is at work in them in the world. So yes, I believe it. I believe it. Proverbs 17.11, jot it in your margin. Proverbs 17.11, An evil man speaks only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. A cruel messenger. I wonder what that cruel messenger is. (laughs) We're not told, but I think we get the picture. We're inviting evil activity into our lives if we walk in rebellion against God. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that those who continued in their sexual sin continued also looking toward idols instead of looking and noticing that there's a creator of this world that we're to turn to. They looked to their idols. They made their idols out of images of animals and other things. They had... uh, 
abnormal, incorrect, vile passions toward one another, man with a man, a woman with a woman. He goes on in Romans chapter 1 and he says this, Therefore he gave them over to their vile passions. What does that mean? If you continue rebellious long enough against God, He'll let you have your way and you'll be stuck in it. The Bible also tells us that God would not have us to endure the wrath to come, those who seek Him and follow after Him. But the Bible also says those who fail to acknowledge the truth, He will cause them to be blind to it and said they'll take the truth for a lie. They'll they'll believe the lie and not the truth. There's coming a time when God says, enough is enough, I'm through, you can have your own way. If you want to live like the devil, you can live with the devil. That's a sad place to end up. But rebellion is taking you there. Rebellion causes a person to become hard-hearted. Another sign, another mark of a hardened heart is refusal, much like rebellion. Refusal. He says again in verse 10, they have not known my ways. They've not known my ways. Now that word known can be confusing. Whatever translation you're reading there, the New King James says they've not known my ways. That's not to be taken to mean they just don't understand my ways. They don't, they don't get it. They just really they can't comprehend it. That's not what it means. It means they've not experienced and taken hold of and been involved in my ways. They know my ways. They're not walking in my ways. They refuse my ways. When God says, trust me and see if I won't come through for you. See if I won't even bless you. The person with a heart of refusal says, I don't trust your way, God. I trust my way. They don't get the experience of learning what it's like to walk in his ways. A third mark of a hardened heart is in verse 13. Unrepentance. Unrepentance is a mark of a hardened heart. He said, through the deceitfulness of sin. Through the deceitfulness of sin. I'm walking in sin, but I don't care. I'm walking in sin, but I'm all right. They were okay with living day to day in their sin and in their rebellion. Unconfessed sin is a sign of a hardened heart. Therefore, we must do as verse 12 says. Beware. Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Continual rebellion testifies that someone's not saved. They hear the truth. They understand the truth. But they refuse it. And they rebel against God. And they walk with unconfessed sin in the rebellion. What do we do? What do we do about this? Well, I believe it's very clear here. He says we need to heed God's warning with urgency. With urgency. We need to heed God's warning with urgency. First of all, as a church body, as a believer, or as a church body collectively, we must recognize our responsibility. And what's our responsibility? We must do as he says in verse 13. Excuse me. Exhort one another... Daily, while it is called today. Today, people want to come to church, but not be part of the church. Today, we want to come to church incognito. We want to come to church unnoticed. 
We don't want anyone at the church meddling in our business. We don't want anyone to say anything about how we live. Today, my business is my business. Your business is your business. Am I right? Isn't that an attitude in the world today? In fact, today, you're blessed to have my presence in your midst if I do show up at your church. That's the attitude and heart that we sometimes have. So the church has to be very cautious lest we run people away on their first visit to the church. But I'm telling you, what difference does it make what church you stay away from or go to if you go to hell? He said, today, exhort, today, exhort one another. That word exhort means to urge. Urge them. doesn't say encourage them. It says Urge them. Brother, I see that you're, you're given to drunkenness. I can't tell you what the Bible says. I mean, I can tell you what the Bible says. The drunkard will not go to heaven. I, I see, sister, you're having an affair. Brother, you're having an affair. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look, I, I see you delving into lesbianism. I see you delving into homosexuality. The Bible says that person will not go to heaven. I see you hanging out there with the liars. I see you with the gossips. The Bible says they'll not go to heaven. That's a sign of lostness. lostness. I exhort you. I urge you. Turn to God. That's what exhortation is. Today, we're seen as badgering people. Today, we're viewed as a hardcore church. But what did he tell us to do? Urge one another lest time runs out. Back in 1980, they urged the residents of Washington State to move away and get out of the area because Mount St. Helens was showing signs of a possible eruption. People heeded the warning at first, but over time, because it didn't actually erupt, People began coming back into the area. People became less concerned. In fact, the volcanic activity actually drew people closer to it. Photographers, campers had moved into the area. Geologists began to go study. They got closer to the area. And on May 18, 1980, the mountain that had been dormant since 1857 erupted. And it killed 30 people who failed to heed the warnings. You're saying, well, thank goodness it's only 30 people. Listen, that's 30 people that did not have to die. Yet they did. They failed to heed the warnings. They remained too close to the volcano. But they didn't have to. All they had to do was heed the warnings. I can remember that in the atmosphere, all the way down to Texas, coming out after school and seeing ash on my windshield just like the, the pollen today. When we fail to heed the warnings, it affects more than just us. It impacts the lives of those around us. How will God respond to the rebellious, indignant, unbelieving, evil heart? He will respond the same way that He responded to Israel when they rebelled against Him in the wilderness. 
And he's called each of us to sound the alarm when we see signs of a hardened, rebellious, unbelieving heart in another person. We're to exhort one another while it is today. And you and I have been given that responsibility and that ministry of reconciling people to God. It's us. It's you. Sound the alarm. The second thing is that we must recognize not just our responsibility, but recognize the urgency. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. It's emphatic. That word today is emphatic. Today means now. What does today mean? Now. Say it with me. Now. We get frustrated when now means tomorrow. How much more so does God get frustrated when the call goes out and His Spirit moves in someone's heart saying now, today, now, right now, don't delay, don't refuse, don't rebel, but it's put off. Today means now. He knows our human tendency, I believe, is to delay, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. People have hardened hearts. Two signs of quitting. Number one is drifting away. Probably a more radical sign of quitting is that, and it may be past tense, you have quit if your heart is hard. As your heart is hard. I'm dyslexic. You've quit. If you ever had it. God knows. He's the only one that knows. D.L. Moody calls the story I'm about to share with you the biggest blunder of his entire ministry. It happened in October, October 8, 1871 during a preaching series in Farwell Hall in the city of Chicago. His sermon message was entitled, What Then Shall I Do With Jesus Who Is Called Christ? And at the conclusion of the sermon, Moody told the people that he was going to give them one week to consider the message and consider what it meant and consider their decision to trust Jesus as Lord of their life, Lord and Savior. He said, I'll give you one week to make up your minds about Jesus. And he then called on a leader everyone knew of in that day, Ira Sankey. He called on him to close with a hymn. And Ira Sankey sang, and I'm not going to sing it, but it's an old hymn. Today the Savior calls, ye wanderers, come. O ye benighted souls, why longer roam? Today the Savior calls, O listen now, within these sacred walls, to Jesus bow. Today the Savior calls, for refuge fly. The storm of justice falls, and death is nigh. The Spirit calls today, yield to His power. O grieve Him not away, tis mercy's hour. Before Arasanke got to the third verse, there was noise coming without, from outside the walls of where they were. Great noise began to come from in, inside the church and they began to hear it became a disruption. A great fire had broken out in the streets of Chicago. Flames were jumping from building to building. People began running. People were pounding on the door. The commotion brought the service to an immediate end and people began to scatter and to run. It was the great Chicago fire of 1871. D.L. Moody says he never got over the fact that instead of calling the people to make a decision that night, 
Before they began to sing the hymn, he told them, I'm going to give you a week. He said, I'd have never given them a chance to delay had I known 90 seconds later some of them would go face death. Drifting away from God is serious. Having a heart that is hardened against God is serious. And I know you may be sitting there and you're thinking, wow, man, that guy just doesn't know. He has no idea what I've been through in my life. I'm so mad at God right now for the things that he's done or allowed to happen in my life. And we blame God because we can't blame it on anyone else. Sometimes that's what we do. If God's in complete control, couldn't he have prevented this from happening in my life? I do get it. I do understand it. I remember in the scriptures when Jesus began to call out his disciples, the Bible said, and they all in one accord began to make excuse. And I'm telling you, don't let the hurt in your heart be your excuse for missing heaven. He is a loving God. I don't understand why he does the things that he he does sometimes, but he's a loving God and he's reaching out with his mercy and grace. And if your heart is hardened toward him, he says today, don't let it be hard any longer as they did in the day of the rebellion. You're in rebellion. Break up your fallow ground, the Bible says, and he will give you He will do it. Will you turn to Him today? That's the only call I know to make. But I know I don't want to put off and 90 90 minutes later, people be dead and not have that opportunity. Don't delay. If your heart is hard, go before God this morning. Get in your prayer closet this afternoon. Do business with God whenever and however. You might say, I can't do it right now. You need to do it right now. During this invitation time, don't look around. Don't wonder. The kids will be okay. They'll be all right. They're in good hands. Do business with God. 